Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special bonus program of our COVID-19 edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Peter Waltz. Each program, we continue to focus on issues affecting businesses and organizations impacted by the virus. And in addition to touching on important stories and events happening all around the world, we're also always fortunate to bring in our local ELA lawyers that are practicing on the ground in these jurisdictions and working daily to help their clients move through these very difficult times. Recently, we had the chance to bring together a group of our lawyers that represented 12 countries in Africa. And with that, let's move on to introduce our panel. Joining us from Morocco, Mohamed Okuer, who is the managing partner of CWA and a member of the CFC. He will also be covering Algeria and Tunisia in addition to Morocco. From Kenya, Sonal Sejpal, she's a partner at A&K, and she will also be covering Tanzania along with Kenya. From Angola, we have Eliezer Corte Real, who's a partner at Fatima Freitas Associados covering Angola. For Cameroon and Ivory Coast, we have Silvia Mata Cavallo, who's going to be covering those jurisdictions, also from the Miranda Alliance, Caveat Nagia. And then from South Africa, we have Lenya Doms-Johnson, who is an associate at Bowman's. She'll be covering South Africa. From Uganda, also covering Rwanda, we have Ernest Sambatya from MMAKS Avocats. So thank you very much to our general panel for their participation today. Folks, remember, please queue up your questions early and often. Type the first name of the speaker and cue in your question, I'll make sure to get that to them. But let's open the program with Mohammed. Mohammed, welcome, and we're anxious to hear what you have to say. Thanks a lot, Pete. Uh, thanks a lot to the LA and to the CFC and to Mr. Saeed Ibrahimi for uh, putting in place this webinar and giving us the possibility to give a few words on how employers and employees should react to this precedent crisis that the pandemic and the restriction governments have taken has created. So I will, as you say, the PIT covers three countries at a very high level, uh, Morocco, Tunisia, and Algeria. I'll start by uh, Morocco to explain that in Morocco we had what we call a state, a sanitary state of emergency that was decided by the public authorities the 20th of March for one month and uh, renewed the 20th of April for another month. And uh, this sanitary state of emergency has created an obligation for some service and for companies to stop their activities, mainly hotel, restaurants, airline companies. And so it has an impact on the day-to-day -day business for a great or big number of companies. So the different ways to react for employers, for the first things we have seen is mainly to put in place home working or silly working, depending on how we want to call it. In Morocco, there is no specific regulation on home working or teleworking, so which creates a problem of implementation. So in this situation of lack of regulations, it is recommended when using or willing to recourse to home working to have an addendum, a temporary addendum of the employment contract signed. That's, I think, the best way to tackle this situation. Uh, when home working is not possible, what is organized by most of the companies is to put people on leave on whether it's accrued leave are taken immediately or accrued or, or sorry or anticipated leave that they can also take at the same at the same time to face the lack of activity. In order to take accrued or anticipated leave under Moroccan law there is not necessarily uh, the obligation to have the employees agreement. This is something that can be organized directly by the employer. 
if such a measure is not enough or if the situation is a little bit more complicated, so more in legal framework, the articles 185 and 186 of the Labor Code put in place the possibility to operate a working time reduction, which as a consequence will also have to generate a reduction in the employee's pay. And this working time reduction is possible for a maximum period of 60 days and up to 50% of the normal working hours. Normal working hours in Morocco is 44 hours a week, so we are speaking about a maximum of 22 hours a week reduction. This is possible just by informing the staff delegates or the works council if the company is more than, has more than 50 employees. So we can go directly to the scheme without also requiring a specific consent. If we have to or if we want to go more than 50% or more than 60 days, then an agreement needs to be signed with the staff delegates, the works council or unions, if there is in the company. And in the situation where companies have really no more activity, have no other options, what is recommended is actually to suspend the contract, not to make any dismissal or redundancy, keeping in mind that redundancy in Morocco needs to be authorized by the public authorities, so not to make any redundancy, but to use a furlough scheme with a state compensation that has been put in place for March, April, May, and June 2020, where even if it's not really satisfactory, the government is giving 200 euro subsidies to each employee that would be in a temporary suspension of his employment contract. So that's what we have also as an ultimate recourse for companies that have no other choice. So there is also the system that has been put in place with the funding of the Moroccan public authorities. Ultimately, one key question uh, I think it is important to highlight before going to the Algerian situation is that under Moroccan law and Section 24 of the Labour Code, the employer has an obligation to ensure complete safety of its employees. So this creates an obligation to take all the required and necessary measures to protect employees' health and safety. And it's an obligation of results. It's a clear commitment from the for a company, and this commitment has to be completely fulfilled. And on, under Moroccan law, there is a various measures to be taken, like social distancing, having to wear masks and take a, a various set of measures depending on the activity, the organization of the company. So there is also uh, recently the Ministry of Interior of Morocco has published a guideline of the sanitary regulation that employers need to respect to make sure they are in compliance with the provision of this Article 24 of the Labour Code. So it's a complicated situation. It is admitted by everyone, uh, private sector, public sector, government and citizens, and so different measures are taken and are, and are put in place. So I will not go really into the technicalities because we have a very short period of time, but as far as Morocco is concerned, I'd be happy to respond to any question on the, on the Q&A. Moving now to Algeria, the Algerian situation is, is a little bit different because what has been, uh, we had a strong measure that has been taken, and in order to implement the social distancing, it is that the state have published an executive order where all companies, all organizations from public or private sector has the obligation to reduce by 50% their work attendance. So on any premises, if you have 100 employees, you cannot have more than 50 now due to this uh, end of March regulation. And so all the people, the 50% that are not allowed anymore to go to office can work whether through home working 
but as it is for Morocco, there is no regulation on home working. So an addendum to employment contract is, is required in order to do so. Or if there is no possibility to home working, then the employee will be put on leave. It will, it's an exceptional leave based on the provision of the Article 53 of the Algerian Labour Code that authorizes the state to create special leaves. And so that's what was done in order to reduce by 50% the attendance in any premises. The 50% that is not allowed to go to work is put on exceptional leave. And so this exceptional leave are paid leave. So all the employers will have to pay 100% of the salary even if people are not attending or are not working and are not present in the office. We don't know yet what the technicalities will be and if the uh, government is going to make any subsidies regarding to this exceptional leave, if there will be normally this exceptional leave uh, as they are paid leave, they generate social contribution and income tax. We do not know yet what will be the decision regarding the um, ultimate party who will be supporting this additional cost, but it will not be the employees. That's, that's a key point that has been uh, decided. So it will be employers or eventually the state. So this is a very strong measure that needs to be strictly respected. So as of 21 of March 2020, all the premises of all companies, whether private or public, had to reduce by 50% their presence on site. Outside these rules, we also have, for companies that have absolutely no activities, the possibility to do home working, as I explained, but with the employee's consent, can be up to 100%. There is no specific limitation. They can also put people on leave, where there is actual leave or anticipated leave, but this requires the consent of each employee. And regarding the temporary suspension of the contract and temporary closure for force majeure, for example, as we are clearly and we can be depending on the activity in the situation of force majeure, this suspension requires also the approval of the employee representative organization, whether unions or participation committee, as we call it under Algerian labor law. So we have clearly in Algeria a position that, was, that has been taken to implement social distancing by reducing density in the office in order to fight against the spread of the pandemic. And in order to do so, we have the guarantee of maintaining the employees' salaries. And companies uh, in Algeria are also not allowed to proceed to any dismissal or redundancy for economic reasons. They are first to implement social distancing, second time to the working time reduction, which is also possible to do in Algeria. But contrary to Morocco, it requires also an approval with the union or the participation committee, or if there is not, with each employee individually. So we have very, a very strong framework to make sure that this pandemic does not impact individually the, uh, the employees. So that's what I can say as far as Algeria is concerned. And I'll now be moving to Tunisia for also a few high-level explanation on uh, what was decided and how, and how can employers handle this uh, very specific situation. What was decided by the Tunisian government is actually quite strong also because it is to immediately suspend some provisions of the labor code and especially the provisions that are related to dismissal and redundancy. So for the time being and until the end of the lockdown, in Tunisia, employers are not allowed to make any dismissal. So they have to find alternative solutions for their uh, workforce. 
which cannot be dismissal even if unions agree or if they have a kind of agreement. It's a prime minister decree dated April 14, 2020, that has temporarily suspended the provision of the labor code related to redundancies. So as redundancies are not possible, then the only available options are homeworking for a company that can do homeworking. And same as Morocco or Algeria, there is in the Tunisian employment law no provision related to homeworking. So there is no legal framework that employers can follow. So as a consequence, we are of the opinion that an addendum to the employment contract is required in order to put people on homeworking and have this scheme put in place. When homeworking are not possible and, and employees cannot work, then the option is to put them on leave. And Prime Minister decree also of April 14 has allowed to put in place this leave, whether accrued or anticipated leave, without the approval of the employees. So it's support for employers they can use already existing leave or anticipated leave to have a way to occupy, to put people on, uh, on leave and pay the salary so there will be no, no impact on the employee's remuneration. So that's the second point that has been taken or decided. If uh, no homeworking, no leave is possible and there is no activity, as dismissals are not allowed, even if a case of force majeure can be demonstrated, then ultimately employees will have to be put on furlough and there is a specific also uh, scheme, like what was done also in Morocco, from the state to support and help employers and employees to survive to the situation. So there is also an indemnity that will be paid by the state for an amount of 200 Tunisian dinars. So that's the compensation that is decided by the government in order to help employees to face the situation. Because if dismissals are not allowed under Tunisian law at the moment, it does not mean that there is an obligation for the employer to pay or to maintain the salary. So it is because there is not that obligation, because as soon as there is no work, there is no obligation to pay under Tunisian law. So in order to face this difficulty, the government has decided to put in place this specific measure of indemnity being funded by the state. We also have, like in uh, Morocco and uh, Algeria, the possibility to operate on a working time reduction also, and also a pay reduction to face the situation for the companies that have no other options. So, so that's mainly the framework in, in, in Tunisia. So mainly in Tunisia, the decision was to make redundancies forbidden, in Algeria to work on the social distancing by putting in place a 50% workforce, workforce reduction in any premises. And in Morocco, it was mainly to do homeworking and to support companies by putting in place an indemnity directly to employees, indemnity, as I said, of 2,000 MAD, so roughly 200 euro, but indemnity that can be also increased without having to pay any social contribution and charges by the employer in order to reach the level of 50% of the average net salary of the employee. So that's mainly the three uh, main measures decided in each country to help employers and employees facing this pandemic. Thanks, Mohamed. We're going to move on to our next speaker, who is going to be representing not only Kenya, but also Tanzania. So if I could have Sonal, the audience is all yours. Thanks very much, Eat. Okay, so I'll start with the travel restrictions that we have in this part of the world. In Kenya, 
International travel was suspended on the 25th of March. We don't have a lockdown, but we do have a curfew. So from 7 p.m. to 5 a.m., everyone stays at home unless you're an essential worker. Movement between three counties, including Nairobi, the commercial capital, was banned a few days ago. And so we've had some interesting stories about how people are crossing borders by pretending they're attending a funeral when the coffin was actually opened and and there was no body in it. We've also had a recent rule restricting the number of passengers in a vehicle. So you can't have more than 50% uh, people in a vehicle at any one time. On the issue of, you know, what are the effects on businesses? Well, clearly in Kenya, businesses are suffering like they are in other parts of the world. Schools, universities have been closed for some time. Restaurants, cinemas, gyms, etc. have been closed other than for takeaway. And employees who are at work, because as I said, there is no lockdown, have to be released by 4 p.m. so that they can get home. Moving on to Tanzania, two days ago, the president there announced that there would be no lockdown in Dar es Salaam, which is the commercial capital, because of its significant importance economically to the country. International travel was suspended on the 11th of April. Returning residents and travelers into Tanzania were subject to quarantine in mandatory facilities for 14 days. But two days ago, the president asked the minister to revisit that measure because, in his view, there was no need to quarantine people who are not sick on arrival. Tanzania is perhaps a few weeks behind Kenya in terms of measures that have been taken. But clearly, the economy there has also been hit by the pandemic. There were challenges before economically, and these have increased as a result of COVID-19. So moving on to working from home. In Kenya, the president encouraged employers to bring in remote working where possible. And so many offices, including professional firms like ours, have been remote working for about four weeks now. It is possible to do with consent of the employee. There is a requirement under the law to consult and obtain consent. That is in line with the employer's legal obligation to provide a safe environment. And obviously with the government encouraging it, it it has been fairly easy for, for most employers to implement. In Tanzania, the situation is similar, but there is no government directive encouraging remote working, although many offices there too are are now working remotely. As regards entitlements in both countries, whilst there is remote working, the employment benefits under contracts continue, other than, of course, those benefits that only apply when someone is physically present in the office, for example, free lunches or transport to the office. Moving on to the issue of can employers declare redundancies, the position in Tanzania is that the Employment Act there defines an operational requirement as a requirement based on the economic, technological, structural or similar needs of the employer. 
And therefore, to the extent that an employer can demonstrate that COVID-19 has impacted the employer's operational requirements, then arguably it can be considered as a factor in a proposed redundancy. That said, the government has recently warned employers not to use COVID-19 as a reason to retrench. And this came about after a number of employees of tour companies complained about mass retrenchment. In Kenya, redundancy is justified so long as the employer is convinced that it is for a reasonable cause. And the courts have held that as long as the employer genuinely believes there is a redundancy situation, then any termination was justified if, and it is not for the court to substitute its business decision for what the employer thinks was reasonable. That said, we haven't had any case law yet in relation to companies that have already used redundancy to terminate employment. As regards the law, there is a proposed amendment which is to be debated next week in our parliament that, if passed, will make redundancies unlawful during COVID. Moving on to force majeure, does the concept apply? Force majeure is an event that is beyond the affected party's reasonable control and could not have been foreseen, or if the event could have been foreseen, is an event that was unavoidable. In Kenya and in Tanzania, force majeure only applies in relation to a contract if it is specifically provided for. It's not something that can be implied into a contract. It is not typical for contracts of employment to have the concept of force majeure within them. But if a contract were to contain such a clause, then it really depends on the language that has been used and whether force majeure event extends to a pandemic of the kind that we're seeing. Can employers require employees to take outstanding leave days? In Kenya, an employer must consult with its employees and obtain their consent prior to effecting even paid leave. Unpaid leave, for sure, and reduced work arrangements also would need to have consultation and consent. As far as Tanzania is concerned, leave, it's, it's a similar position as in Kenya, except that where leave has been accrued, then an employer can require the employee to take that leave. Is the government offering any form of relief to employees or employers? Well, certainly in Kenya, we've had a tax amendment bill that was passed just the other day here, giving a raft of tax benefits for employees in relation to the income tax they pay on salaries. And VAT has also been reduced. Certain other measures have been taken and there are a number of additional amendments that will seriously impact the ability of employers in Kenya to try and rationalize the overhead of workers. And if those measures are passed, then I think we will see a lot of problems for employers in Kenya, but we will know more next week. In Tanzania, measures of that sort have not yet been taken.
There have been a number of statements, as I mentioned earlier, that have been expressed by the president and various ministers, but there has been no change in the law in relation to offering relief to either employees or employers as yet. That concludes my remarks for Kenya and Tanzania, Pete. Thanks, Sonal. I do have a question for you here from someone that's asking about what do you think the impact of the pandemic response management bill will be to employers? Can you elaborate on that? Sure. That bill came about before the amendments that were introduced just a few days ago by government in the tax amendment bill that I mentioned, which will be debated next week. So I'm not sure whether the pandemic response management bill will actually be heard, but that bill provides that where a pandemic adversely affects the ability of an employer to pay salaries, then the employer should not terminate employees or coerce employees to take a salary cut. Obviously, if the bill were to pass with that kind of language, it's going to be extremely difficult for employers to try and reduce the employment cost and will potentially make it very difficult to stay afloat. There's another question in here that's somewhat related. So if a firm is planning to go through a restructuring anyway, you know, can they go ahead with it at this time prior to that bill being put in place? Or what would your recommendation be? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing in the law today which prevents restructurings or redundancies or terminations for, for whatever reason within the confines of the existing law. Because our redundancy processes take several weeks as a minimum, obviously the employer needs to be wary and on the lookout of these kinds of changes. And I know speaking to a number of people, various companies decided to try and beat the legislation restricting any such cuts and had already made cuts. So it was a bit unfortunate, obviously, for employees in that situation. But there is nothing to stop employers dealing with these measures within the confines of the existing law. Thank you for that, Sonal. Remember, anyone, if you'd like to ask a question of Sonal, please cue it into the Q&A box. Type Sonal at the beginning or Kenya Tanzania. She'll be happy to answer that. And Sonal, much appreciated. Let's move on to our next speaker in Angola, Eleazar. If you're there, please fill us in on what's going on in that country. Hi, Peter. Good afternoon, everyone. Hopefully you all are keeping your safe at these difficult times. Well, we're about Angola. Angola is under a state of emergency regime since March 27 on the grounds of imminent public calamity caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. The first period was renewed on April 11, and just a few minutes ago, we become aware uh, that the president renewed uh, it for a second additional period of 15 days, starting on April 26 until May 10. While during the first two periods of lockdown, the rules were the general closure of private commercial establishments and industrial units with delayed exceptions, for instance, for the oil and gas uh, sector, the mining companies. The general house confinement was also one of the main rules, like the main rule was to, to work remotely and using the teleworking. 
the schools and sports activities were all closed. The borders all were also engaged by historic closed. Now it seems with the, the, the new uh, period that was approved by the president, the government will release such measures in order to restart more widespread economic uh, activity. Uh, the measures announced yesterday and that were published uh, in the official gazette today are in the sense that all economic activities, either commercial or services, uh, may restart with some limitations, such as the number of employees at the uh, same time in the office that cannot be higher than 50% of the normal workforce. The work schedules allowed will be in general from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m., and the use of masks will be mandatory in the closed spaces with the public access. The schools and leisure activities will contain suspended so restaurants, bars, discos are not allowed to operate during this uh, additional period of 15 days. In the previous lockdown period, there was a special protection and limitations to free movement and capacity work to people with uh, 60 or more years, immunosuppressed people, and patients with chronic disease. There was also special protection for pregnant women or with children up to 12 years of age under their care during the first period. Well, after that, in the second period, this rule regarding the protection of the woman, the pregnant woman and the dudes with children up to 12 years of age under their care, it seems that now with this new renewal, the government decides to reinstate again these rules. So the, the pregnant woman and those with the children up to 12 years under their care will be again protected and cannot work at the workplace. They should mandatorily work from home. In terms of remuneration conditions, the government imposed on the employers the obligation to continue paying the salaries even for those employees not working remotely. For the employees working remotely, employers free to unilaterally define the conditions and salary implications of remote work. And this rule uh, was uh, kept in the new presidential decree. Other implications of the state of emergency are the full suspension of the right to strike. Employers who are required to operate during the state of emergency must issue a certificate in work pass to allow employees to commute to and from work, and this one still is mandatory. The validity of oil identification documents and visas were extended until the end of the state of emergency. Uh, with uh, a particular situation regarding the tourism visas and short-term visas, work permits that were um, extended up to 30 May. So if they expire during the, the state of emergency period, they will be extended until 30 May. Regarding the termination of employment relationships, and I already saw some questions about that, in the new presidential decree, it still is prohibited if grounded solely on the mere absence of employees from workplace due to the closure of the establishment. 
So our schedules for redundancy or suspension of the employment relationship were not possible during the state or the previous period. We really don't know yet whether it will be possible now because the, the public services are now open, of course with some limitations, but they are open. So we don't know whether the, the, the authorities will authorize, for instance, a proceeding to the spend employment contract to run during this second period. So we're going to wait and try to clarify these uh, aspects during the next week because the wording of the law is not uh, clear. In terms of measures to relieve the effects and impact on business of COVID-19 pandemic, the government determined a moratorium in the remittance of 8% of employers' share related to the social security contributions for a period of six months from July to December. So the contributions of employers to the social security system from uh, April, May, and June can be remitted to be paid during the second semester of the year in installments and without no delay interest. Regarding the employees, there is a rule of the employers to transfer their mandatory 3% social security contributions to their salaries, aimed with the purpose with these measures to increase the employees' income. As regards the post of emergency, flexibilization of employment relationships, the adoption of fixed-term contracts restored to manpower companies, longer probation periods according to the law, fiduciary positions, etc., can flexibilize the situation of new hiring. So we know that we will face a very difficult economic situation, but in case company decides to hire people, it can use like these instruments to try to flexibilize its, uh, its position in the employment relationship. Regarding the conservation of termination of employment, it can be done through total, total suspension of employment contracts, partial suspension of employment contracts, salary reduction on the modalities set for single law, which are very limited, individual redundancy and collective businesses. And finally, regarding an ongoing labor market, market sorry, after the lifting of the state of emergency, the news are not good. Angolan economy still depends substantially of the oil and gas sector. And due to the crisis with the oil price, many companies will most probably initiate redundancy procedures. So if we have the problem with the COVID-19, we also have the problem with the price of the oil. And so most probably companies will face a very difficult situation even after the state of emergency be lifted. Thank you, Eliezer. And there are several questions queuing up for Angola and for Eliezer, if you keep queuing those up. Eliezer, if you could take a look at those questions, we'll address some of them at the end of the presentation. But to keep us on track, I want to move on to Sylvia. Sylvia is going to speak to us. Take it away, if you would. Okay, thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. At an early stage of the epidemic in Africa, both countries, Cameroon and Ivory Coast, announced measures to fight the spreading of coronavirus in the country. 
In Ivory Coast, the president declared the state of emergency on 23 March. All borders are closed. Social and behavioral measures have been imposed, as well as a curfew from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Citizens have been instructed to remain at home unless it, if this is to buy food or other essential items, to go to work if unable to work from home, to go to hospitals or health centers, and to carry out caring or similar duties. To date, no national lockdown has been imposed, but Abidjan is currently under quarantine. Traffic is free in the city, but to get out, a specific pass indicating the reasons to leave the city is necessary. From an economic standpoint, Ivory Coast is feeling the impact of the pandemic. The economic outlook for this year should deteriorate substantially due to the sharp slowdown in activity among the country's trading partners, the hit to investors' confidence, and the adverse economic impact on the needed containment and mitigation measures deployed by the authorities. The Ivorian government has been trying to reduce such impact by adopting short-term businesses support measures and that maintaining economic activity, easing companies' cash flow and preserving jobs, such as the suspension of payment of taxes for a three-month period, duties and tax exoneration on material health equipment, SWIFT VAT refunds, the authorities also announced an ambitious economic plan of about 1.5% of GDP for this year to prop up the income of the most vulnerable segments of the population through agricultural input support and expanded cash transfers, relief to hard-hit sectors and firms, and support public entities in the logistics sectors to ensure continuity in supply chains. Cameroon, on the other hand, immediately announced 13 measures to cope the spread of the virus on mid-March, but also it is one of the most affected countries in Central Africa. No additional measures were taken. Borders are closed as well as schools, but there are no, there are no restrictions on internal traveling, nor a curfew has been imposed. To date, no official economic support or economic recovery plans have been announced by the government. Also, the president announced that he will offer 2 billion francs CFA to help track out the COVID-19 across Cameroon, as well as hygienic products and medical kits. In both countries, no specific labor-related measures have been adopted by the government. In Ivory Coast, though, both employers and employees' union entered into an agreement aimed at proposing to companies and uh, government additional measures to manage the coronavirus crisis in order to preserve the survival of companies and jobs. But in both countries, at this stage, employers must resort to the general provisions of the Labour Code. As far as teleworking is concerned, as in other countries, there is no regulation on this matter. Also, both governments have recommended companies to put their employees on remote working whenever possible. The authorities have considered that teleworking can be unilaterally decided by the employees without the need of the employee's consent. As soon as they provide the adequate tools, meaning electronic devices, computer, mobile phone, etc., and the working time must be complied. In relation to working time reduction, in Cameroon, such measures can be taken by employers if the goal is to avoid a redundancy procedure. In the current context, employers can propose a reduction of working hours and a concurrent reduction of the employee's salary. However, the consent of the employees and that of the labor inspector are required. 
In a very cost in turn, reduction of the working time will necessarily entail the consent of the employees. The law also provides for the possibility of recovering the hours of work collectively lost. An extension of the daily working time may thus be done after the epidemic, as long as this recovery does not exceed the hours lost. Another measure discussed is the possibility to require employees to take their paid annual leave. In Cameroon, considering that the days of leave are generally agreed between the employer and the employees, and the current situation is being the case of force majeure, employer may request its employees to take their annual leave in order to avoid the loss of remuneration that a formal layoff process would entail. Their consent is nonetheless advisable to avoid litigation in the future. In Ivory Coast, in turn, pursuant to the Labour Code, also the period of leave is set preferably by mutual agreement between the employer and the employee. If no consent is reached, the employer may impose the period of leave depending on the needs of the company as soon as the employees are informed of their period of leave at least 15 days before such period starts. The first measure that may be envisaged is the suspension of the employment contract called in French chômage technique. In Cameroon, the technical leave cannot exceed six months and the compensation ranging between 50 and 20% of the monthly salary is due by the employer. The technical leave shall be authorized by the labor inspector after consulting the staff delegates. In Ivory Coast, the technical leave is also provided in the labor code and as in Cameroon, it can be implemented in case of force majeure. The compensation paid to the employee is also unilaterally decided by the employer. However, the technical leave cannot exceed two months in a calendar year. If it exceeds this period, the employees will be considered dismissed and the employer is required to pay the entitlement due in case of dismissal, meaning the dismissal compensation, the prior notice which depends on the employee's seniority, the accrued but not taken vac vacation, and any outstanding payments. However, the Labour Code provides for the possibility to extend the duration of the technical leave up to four months, but in this case, it is necessary to, have, to reach an agreement with the employees. This, the extension of this technical leave must be discussed with the employees and agreement must be reached. And in this case, the employer is required to pay to the employees one-third of their salary. And what about salary reduction? As for the reduction of working time, such could only be possible if an agreement was reached with the employees. But it is not uh, recommended if such measure is adopted regardless of the other measures. The dismissal for economic reasons may be an option if companies meet the conditions laid down by the Labour Code. In both Cameroon and, and Ivory Coast, if a company has economic difficulties likely to compromise its financial balance, they can resort to dismissal for economic reasons. However, this, such dismissal is subject to a specific procedure which requires, in particular, the opinion of the staff representative as well as the approval of the labor inspector. In Côte d'Ivoire, the labor inspectors have already confirmed that the procedure set forth in the labor code should be complied with 
as soon as those social distancing rules are applied. Now, looking further and behind, we observe that several problems have been raised and will arise. Employers are required to adopt all measures to promote safety and prevent occupational risks at the workplace. For instance, increase routine cleanings, increase remote work capabilities and modify visitors' policies, etc. But can they submit the employees to COVID-19 testing? This might raise their discrimination and privacy issues. Another relevant difficulty that employers may face is when an employee refuses to go to work because of the fear of being contaminated. Does this constitute a ground for dismissal? After the, the epidemic, whenever employees were put in teleworking, can employers decide to maintain this scheme of, of work? Finally, and to conclude, after this containment period, we expect that the number of litigation cases will increase because of the lack of regulations. Employers are obliged to resort to the general rules of the Labour Code, which are not aimed at regulating such situations. We feel that decisions taken during this phase will be further challenged by employees. And taking into account the pro-worker trends, we expect to see decisions that will have a serious financial impact on companies. It is therefore of essence that employers adopt a fully transparent and cooperative attitude toward workers at this stage. And that concludes my thoughts, Peter. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sylvia. And just to remind our audience, we have about 30 minutes left in our program, lots of content coming our way, but please continue to submit your questions. We'll do our best to answer as many of them as we can before the end of the program. Sylvia, thanks so much. And let's move on to our next speaker, our friend Archa Dutta in Gabon. Archa, if you're there, please take it away. Thanks, Peter. So I'm speaking to everybody from a very rainy Gabon, where I'm currently under mandatory lockdown and will also under a curfew within the next two hours due to the COVID-19 crisis. So following a significant increase in COVID-19 cases here, I think we are at 159 cases and three deaths currently, a state of emergency was declared on the 9th of April, which resulted in a mandatory lockdown of the capital and the suburbs. There's also a curfew all over Gabon from 7.30 p.m. to 6 in the morning. And so the lockdown started on the 13th of April, and it will last for an initial period of 14 days. But it can be renewed, which it probably will be, because there is a bill that is currently before the lower house of parliament for the extension of this uh, state of emergency. Now, during the lockdown, residents like myself can only leave the house to go grocery shopping or for health reasons. And only residents which are, you know, who are deemed to be carrying out essential services, which is to say services which are necessary to the functioning of the state or to the functioning of the economy, and who are in possession of a document which is called a laissez-passé and which is issued jointly by the ministries of interior and defense, can undertake work-related displacements. So a list of such essential services has been issued by the government for both the public and private sectors. To go quickly through them, I'm not going to touch on each and every one, but let's say that public health institutions and revenue collection counters of different ministries are deemed to be essential services, and so essential employees who are necessary to those services can go to work, and non-essential administrations can be open for a maximum of three days a week, but only essential staff can be at work. For the private sector, then, you know, just some examples, staff 
necessary for maintaining operations. So this could be HR, accounting, finance, technical staff, quality control and HSE staff can make displacements. If they're working in companies that themselves are carrying out essential services. So, you know, these are water and electricity providers, clinics, pharmacies, and companies in the oil and mining sector, uh, which makes sense as a measure considering the bonds reliant on the extractive industries. Now, the city of Pojanti, which is, uh, you know, the oil town. And- I think we may have lost Archa. Archa, when you come back, we'll come back to you. Let's just shift right now and we'll go over to our colleague in South Africa, Lenya, if you're there. Let's pick up with South Africa and we'll come back to Archer when she reconnects. On 15th of March, the South African government declared a national state of disaster. And since then, a stringent national lockdown has been in place since the 25th of March. The lockdown is until 30th April, after which it will be reduced in phases. So during the period of the lockdown, every person has been required to stay at home unless they work in an essential service, which I'll discuss shortly, or they are obtaining an essential good or service, collecting grants or pensions, or seeking medical attention. Apart from these activities, people aren't allowed to leave their homes at all. A long list of essential services has been published by the government, and these include, for instance, law and security enforcement, emergency and medical services, financial institutions, power, water, fuel, and sanitization suppliers, essential government services, the media, and producers of food, cleaning, and personal hygiene products. Recently, because South Africa is such a heavy mining industry, mining operations have also been permitted to recommence at a reduced capacity, subject to stipulated requirements being met. Businesses are not permitted to operate unless they are designated an essential service, or they are able to conduct their operations remotely from employees' homes. Essential goods have been designated as food, medicine, cleaning and hygiene products, fuel, and other basic goods such as airtime, electricity, and cash withdrawal. The sale and purchase of cigarettes and alcohol has been prohibited for the duration of the lockdown. The lockdown has raised critical questions in relation to the treatment of employees insofar as their forced absence from the physical workplace is concerned. And so far as employees have fallen ill with COVID-19, they would be entitled to be paid sick leave, provided that they haven't extinguished their sick leave entitlement, and they would also be able to claim unemployment insurance benefits for the illness. The question is, and so far as healthy employees are concerned, the first and most obvious scenario would be where employees are required to work in an essential service or where they can, in fact, work remotely. So here the employees would render services to an employer and continue to be paid for their services in the ordinary course. Where employees are able to work remotely, a question that has arisen is to what extent employers are obliged to provide a safe working environment for employees, given that the Occupational Health and Safety Act requires them to take reasonably practical measures to ensure their employees' health and safety. A mechanism by which employers can manage their obligations in this regard is by requiring their their employees to sign a declaration wherein they warrant, amongst other things, that their home office is safe and they undertake to notify their employer of any changes in this regard. Insofar as compensation for occupational injuries and diseases is concerned, the compensation fund will treat COVID-19 as a compensatable illness. And this means that employers will be protected from delictual liability in respect of employees who contract COVID-19 during the course and scope of employment. 
Business continuity by way of remote working is, of course, the most preferable scenario, but given the employment landscape in South Africa, the reality is that a large number of businesses simply can't operate remotely and their employees can't work remotely. Where employees are not employed in an essential service and they can't work remotely, we've had to consider how to treat their forced absence from the workplace. And this has been an entirely novel situation because it's an instance where employees are willing but unable to tender their services and employers are willing but unable to accept the tender of the services. So really, you're not looking at any sort of false unwillingness on the part of either party. As a starting point, we've advised clients that where employees are unable to work remotely as a consequence of the lockdown, then the principle of no work, no pay would apply. And as such, there wouldn't be any legal obligation to pay employees. Notwithstanding this, many employees have, of course, felt morally obliged to try and assist their employees during the lockdown. And one mechanism that employers have adopted and that some of my colleagues have spoken about is to require their employees to take their accrued annual leave during the lockdown. Under South African law, employees are entitled to a minimum of 15 working days paid annual leave per annum, and employers can require employees to take their accrued annual leave unless there's been an agreement to the contrary. Businesses that have not been able to operate during the lockdown have been hard hit, and many have been forced to close all or part of their operations as a result of the pandemic. In response to this, the government has introduced an emergency temporary relief scheme, which aims to cover the cost of employees' salaries during their employer's closure. The value of this benefit is determined with reference to a sliding scale, but in practical terms, the minimum monthly amount to which an employee would be entitled is 3,500 rand, while the maximum amount is in the region of 6,700 rand. Employers may supplement the benefit received by employees under the scheme, but employees can't be paid more than 100% of their salary in total. The financial strain that employers are under has also given rise to the introduction of cost-saving mechanisms such as reduced working hours, reduced pay, and temporary layoffs. Unless the employees' contracts of employment or a collective agreement make provision for these types of scenarios, employers are obliged to reach agreement with their employees on reduction in working hours, pay, or temporary layoffs. There isn't a, a concept such as furlough in South African law. Under the Unemployment Insurance Fund Act, where an employee's hours of work are reduced, he or she may be able to submit a claim for lost income uh, subject to certain requirements being met. Employers have also had to consider the impact of temporary work closures and reduced pay on the provision of employee benefits, such as medical aid, retirement fund contributions, and group life insurance contributions. Since, for example, a reduction in employees' pay can impact contribution rates, while a temporary disruption or seizure in the payment of contributions could result in an employee losing his or her membership or insurance cover. So what's happened in this instance is that the regulatory authorities for retirement funds and medical aid schemes have encouraged these bodies to come up with ways by which they, to ease the financial strain on employers and employees in relation to contributions and to secure their continued membership. As a final recourse, many employers have had no alternative but to implement retrenchment or redundancy proceedings because they simply can't survive in the current climate. This notwithstanding, the public and private sectors have been proactive to, in seeking to mitigate the impact of the pandemic and the lockdown on the economy. And for instance, in this regard, they've reduced the repo rate, they've implemented tax relief measures, and they've restructured lending index facilities with financial institutions. 
In the immediate future, given that the lockdown is scheduled to end next week, the primary consideration from an employment perspective would be the protocol that employers need to adopt in permitting employees to gradually return to the workplace and how to gradually ramp up their operations within the context of the pandemic, the legal restrictions and the economy as stands. And that's all from me, Peter, from a South African perspective. Thank you very much, Lenya. I appreciate it. I've got a few questions for you. We'll handle at the end of the presentation. But let's now move on to our friend from Gabon, Archa, who got disconnected. Archa, are you still with us? Uh, yes, I am. So I think we were speaking about the oil city of Torjansi, uh, which is uh, not under lockdown currently. So this is different from the capital city, of course, in terms of uh, the measures that have been taken by the government. But displacements with respect to public transportation have led to certain restrictions. So there are restrictions on the number of people that can uh, enter into a taxi, into a taxi bus, so to say. And those measures have obviously had an impact on the way people work and get to work. So the Minister of Employment has obviously realized that uh, working conditions and work hours for these employees will be impacted and has issued guidelines on them. And so the takeaway message is that employees are required to the maximum extent possible to work from home, those who come to the office should either do so on a rotational basis or on a per-task basis and should reduce the number of hours spent at work to reduce exposure or contamination. And if you are at work, meetings of more than 10 people are prohibited. And if you are at the office, you have to follow social distancing measures at all times. Employers are also required to sensitize staff and especially staff representatives or delegates to health, safety and hygiene rules to reduce contamination. And there is a hotline that has been established, which employers must call immediately if any employees show symptoms. Now, again, I'll make a special comment on workers in the oil sector because, you know, that is obviously a key sector in Gabon. So for those workers... You know, persons who are working on such sites, whether it be onshore or offshore or platforms, are deemed to be carrying out essential services. And these persons usually work on a rotational basis and will be allowed to make displacements. The issue that I see is that many rotators are foreign nationals and flying to the country due to a dearth of local technicians for, for certain uh, types of work, not all. And the borders, be it land borders, air borders, sea borders, are currently closed. So it remains to be seen whether these measures regarding you know, the closing of the frontiers or borders or displacements will be changed or adapted within the coming days because they do not seem to be sustainable in terms of the type of sector that are part of the bond economy. Now, obviously, the COVID-19 crisis and the resulting lockdown have had an impact on the economic activity of the country. It is pretty much visible. And the Labour Code defines force majeure for specific situations, but it does not look through, you know, change in the company's financial or economic standing to that prison. That is dealt with in the Labour Code by authorizing the permanent termination of the employment contract or its temporary suspension. For both these mechanisms, the employer needs to consult with staff representatives and request the Labour Inspector's authorization. And for economic layoffs, specific entitlements under the Labour Code are also due to employees. And, and similarly, for a temporary redundancy, customarily, a percentage of the salary is paid to the worker, which can be set by the employer. That said, 
the Minister of Employment has been very cautious in not mentioning the term layoffs in any declarations or texts because, well, because of the social turmoil that this would cause. And employee unions have also clearly stated that they would not support such measures. The oil union, for instance, has been uh, very, very vocal regarding this. So it's improbable that labour inspectors will authorise layoffs during this period. And for that matter, the state has been very silent as well on other measures, such as a reduction of salaries without resorting to the mechanisms under the Labour Code. So what have they regulated? Well, temporary redundancy. That's what has been regulated by the government. A temporary redundancy allowance has been established for impacted employees. This is around 50 to 70 percent of their gross salary, excluding allowances and bonuses. And both the redundancy measure and allowance will only be available during the lockdown. And so salaries of less than 150,000 francs, which is around, I guess, 230 euros, will not be subject to this reduction and will need to be fully paid up. Now, the Minister of Employment has declared that companies carrying out essential services are not within the scope of this measure. So this would basically exclude all of the companies operating in the oil and the mining sectors. But exchanges that I've had with some labor inspectors give me room to think that exceptions could be made and it would be more of a question of documenting the type of financial hardship that companies have faced. But what the state is clear on is that temporary redundancy is a last resort measure. So other means of safeguarding jobs, maintaining operations, which are not in the labor code, have been exceptionally authorized through various legal instruments. So during this period, employers can compel employees to take their leave. And employees with shorter work days can also be asked to put in those missing hours by the employer once the crisis is over. Now, the lockdown has been forced for less than two weeks. And... Many multinationals have already established work-from-home schemes in not just Korea but also other governing cities, even before the state of emergency was announced. But that being said, productivity in the time of COVID-19, with barriers such as uh, employees' lack of internet access or power cuts in their homes, is a recurring question, as is the question of whether the measures adopted by the state and geared towards employers will be abruptly stopped when the lockdown is lifted, though it affects will be seen for months on end. Thank you, Peter. Over to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Archa. Seems like Ernest has disappeared. Hi, Line. Oh, great. Wonderful. Thanks, Ernest. Folks, as you know, we're all working from home, so it is, it is always a challenge to try and reconnect. But, Ernest, I'm glad you're back. Let's cover Uganda and Rwanda. That'd be great. Very well, Peter. Good evening, everyone. As of 24th of April this year, Uganda had 74 confirmed cases of COVID-19. 46 of which re- recovered and have been discharged from hospital, leaving only 28 active cases. Of the 28 active cases, nine are transit goods truck drivers from neighboring countries, and no COVID-19-related deaths have to date been recorded. Now, in relation to working from home, typically contracts of employment provide for designated places of work and have a clause providing for such other places as the employer may from time to time decide. Since the declaration of the COVID-19 pandemic, employers in a bid to promote social distancing asked some of their employees to work from home. Certainly, working from home comes with its peculiar challenges, which include technological challenges, work equipment, access to the internet, which, which is very central to the operations of many, if not all, employers. There are also issues of confidentiality, workspace, health and safety issues, how to keep employees motivated, monitor performance, etc. 
In some sectors, working from home is outright not visible, and these include financial institutions, as tailors cannot work from home. They also have security issues. And of course, companies engaged in manufacture, mm-hmm. agriculture, are also, cannot also work from home. In relation to cross-border travel, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, the government of Uganda issued two COVID-19 focus statutory instruments. That is the public health control COVID-19 rules and the public health prohibition of entry to Uganda order. The rules impose an obligation on occupiers of premises, employers, and heads of households to notify local authorities upon becoming aware that any person residing occupying premises or employee is suffering from COVID-19. The rules also ban until the 5th of May this year activities and events which would entail mass gatherings, schools and institutions of higher learning, cinema halls, places of worship, public gatherings or whatever sports, sporting events, etc. No doubt this has affected a number of sectors, including the entertainment industry, the sports industry, and others. Which of these provisions attract imprisonment for a period of not more than two months with no provision for payment of a fine? The public health prohibition of entry into Uganda order, on the other hand, prohibits the entry into Uganda of any person or animal through the border posts of Uganda, save for employees of any United Nations organization and any humanitarian organization, as well as vessels, vehicles, and aircraft used used in the conveyance of cargo, provided, however, that the crews manning such vessels, vehicles, and aircraft does not exceed more than three persons. Public and private transport, therefore essential workers, has also been banned. Factories, financial institutions, telecom, utility companies remain operational with skeleton staff, and a curfew is in existence from 7 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. In relation to leave or paid off time, the pandemic has affected the global economy, and Uganda's economy is no exception. This has affected the bottom lines of many employers, compelling them to take steps to mitigate the situation. This includes sending employees on posted unpaid leave. However, in either instances, that is whether forced or unpaid, the consent of the employee must be obtained. And on working reduction and redundancy, under the Employment Act in Uganda, employment contracts can be terminated on the basis of economic and technological reasons, and the impact of the pandemic on the operations of many employers has resulted in a substantial reduction in their income. Some companies are uncertain of how to finance their budgets going forward, and some employers are therefore cutting down on their workforce on this basis. If the number of employees to be terminated on the basis of this COVID-19 orchestrated redundancy is more than 10 over a period of three months, the law requires the employer to notify the Labor Commissioner as well as the representative of the Labor Union if the employees are unionized. Other employers are cutting pay, however, and, and this too can only be done with the consent of the employee. The prospect of a job loss due to budgetary constraints makes a salary cut an attractive option, and indeed employees tend to take a preference for this. The law permits an employer to temporarily lay off staff and provides that an employee's continuous service will not be regarded as broken during the layoff period. The law is silent on the maximum duration of the layoff period, and in our view, this should be at the discretion of the employer. Employers could temporarily lay off staff and have demonstrated when better economic circumstances prevail. This indeed is the recommendation by the Ministry of Gender, Labor and Social Development in Uganda. The ministry also requires employers to provide the ministry with returns and statistics with details of employees whose employment is likely to be affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. 
I'll now proceed to force majeure. Force majeure provides a basis for termination of contracts or declaration of redundancies um, in Uganda due to banning of passenger flights and uncertainty as when business returns to normal airlines are terminating employment contracts on the basis of force majeure. The government release, the central bank issued guidelines to banks in relation to restructuring of existing facilities and grace periods for loan repayment. Taking advantage of these guidelines, however, is at the initiative of the customer and not the bank. So to take advantage of a restructure, the customer would have to approach the bank and not the other way around. The government has also banned for the duration of the lockdown in Uganda, the eviction of tenants, and this has been a relief to tenants. However, conversely, it has had an adverse effect on the real estate sector. There's a ban on increase of prices for essential commodities, and free food is supplied to low-income earners in urban and semi-urban areas, and this, in return, has boosted the agriculture processing sector. The government has not announced any stimulus packages. However, in the president's speech the nation delivered this week, he alluded to cabinet discussing employment issues, which I suppose will include the set of contracts of, the, of employment during this period. We await his guidance. Peter, I'll now proceed to Rwanda. In Rwanda, like in other jurisdictions, contracts of employment provide for designated places of employment and also provide for such other places as employers may designate. The government of Rwanda has, in response to COVID-19 pandemic, encouraged companies to have their employees work from home, encouraging them to make use of the various technology platforms, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, etc. The federal lockdown is presently in place, having come into force on the 31st of March and is expected to end next week on the 30th of April 2020. In relation to cross-border travel, on 17th of April 2020, the government of Rwanda issued a statement closing all borders, save for vehicles, vessels and flights for goods and cargo. And in relation to internal travel, transport is limited to essential service providers, that is, medical services, banks, police, etc. Citizens are required to stay home, save for essential services related to travel, that is travel for medical care, travel for financial transactions, travel for purchase of food and the like. In relation to leave, London law permits forced leave, provided, however, that it's paid, paid leave, and subject to notifying the labor inspector and certainly with the consent of the employees. Unpaid leave is also permitted. However, this can only be limited to a period of 90 days, after which the employer must decide whether or not to recall the employee or take the tough decision of terminating them. It is recommended to clients to initially suspend, prior to suspension of contracts of employment, um, and that is subject to cash flow, to have a discussion with employees to reduce the amount to have salary cut for a period of 90 days, and then they can decide whether or not to take the discount decision of, of termination. Budget constraints can be a basis for reduction in hours of work or salary cuts with the consent of the employees. There is no requirement in Randall to inform labor, labor inspectors if between the employer and the employees, salary deduction, salary cuts, or reduction of, of hours of work has been agreed on. Contracts of employment can also be suspended with no pay for a maximum period of 90 days. This typically is an option employers take up in the event that employees decline reduction in working hours or to take pay cuts. 
Budget constraints can also be justifiable reasons for termination of employees for economic reasons. It is recommended that employers attempt to find alternative ways of managing situations of this sort, and that is offering salary cuts, paid leave, reduced working hours, before resorting to suspension of contracts or even in the worst of situations considering termination. Force majeure can apply in under random law and can lead to either suspension of a contract with no pay, subject, however, to the maximum period being 90 days, and alternatively, termination subject, however, to payment of all the benefits. The government of Rwanda has, in a bid to mitigate the effects of COVID-19 economic situations, permitted the delay in the payment of income tax by a period of one month from when the tax is due. It has also speeded up um, the refund of value-added tax. And lastly, the central bank has been encouraging banks to restructure loans as well as give grace periods for loan repayments as and when they are requested for by the bank customers. Thank you very much, Peter. I'll be happy to take on any questions. Thanks so much to our members on the panel for sharing their thoughts and advice on how to address labor and employment issues facing countries in Africa during this difficult time. If you'd like to connect with any of our lawyers on the program, please search for them on the ELA website at ela.law. When you're on the website, you can also sign up to receive invitations for other webinars, download our white papers, on-demand content, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks for listening.